1: Now, get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562 314 4603 for details.
3: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected.
4: What is in fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another 2023-2024 NBA team look-ahead. We are on to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and joining me for the first ever, I believe, Hardwood Knocks four-person podcast, we have the uncontested podcast, almost in full. We have Jacob Niffin, Nick Crane, and Taylor Peterson, their Twitter... Uh, handles will be in the podcast and YouTube descriptions, as will the link to where you can subscribe to the uncontested podcast, which is a really great podcast that I just so happened to appear on momentarily before recording this. Uh, how are you guys? Let's start with throw it out there. How are you doing, Jacob?
5: I'm good, man. It's, uh, you know, we're two and a half weeks away from preseason basketball opening night for the thunder is Chet V Wemby in preseason hoops in Oklahoma city. So just counting down the days.
4: Um, maybe Wemby will probably be rested for that game, I feel like.
5: Uh, <laughs> Nick,
6: how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, we may talk about this in the pod, but it's really hard to think about this Thunder team and uh, cover them leading up to the season when there's still like 19 or 20 guys in the roster and we don't actually know who the 15 man's going to be. Um, but I guess that actually makes it more exciting. So it's, it's, it's a fun time, ready
4: for the season to be here, like Jacob mentioned. Uh, They do confuse the living fuck out of me when I'm putting together, like, the outline and trying to figure out rotations because of how they're set up. Taylor, how
7: are you doing? Doing amazing. Uh, Like both of the guys mentioned, we're getting closer and closer to training camp. I believe we're about two weeks out here, which is just so exciting because, Dan, I'm going to be real honest with you. Uh, You're one of the good few, like, national media members who aren't just talking about should the Blazers just go ahead and trade Dame. And James Harden and Giannis, like, I can only hear those same exact arguments over and over for so long. It feels like we're just scraping the bottom of the barrel. So uh, really excited to get into, into some actual uh, media days and training camps and, and eventually into the NBA season. I am
4: a little concerned that the content you've been exposed to is so bad that you appreciate the content <laughs> that we're putting out over here. But I appreciate it nonetheless. We Can, can we appreciate, though, like we were talking about this on your podcast. There's narratives surrounding the thunder. Like it's probably frustrating to hear the low bar. Like they should have traded for this guy or signed this guy, but there are national narratives for the OKC thunder. I think that's a pretty big deal.
6: We are back as bad as they are, man. Like at least there is narratives. This, this team wasn't talked about for two and a half years, much at all on the national scene.
4: Yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, And I think people are still going to think that they're rebuilding when it's like, we're kind of entering a different phase here. Uh, I want to start with last season, though, and I'll throw it to we'll work away backwards now from the setup on screen. Taylor, they... Shea received, deservedly so, most of the attention from this team and was just mentioned, like, wow, the Thunder of Shea and look what he's doing. But was there, like, one of the many guiding principles of this team that stood out to you that sort of drove them just absolutely
7: annihilating expectations last year? That's really tough because... Uh... <sighs> I think specifically, if you think about a principal, it's probably the defense. And again, I don't have this actually pulled up in front of me right now, but for the majority of the season, they were top 12 in in defensive rating in the NBA. And that is not so much personnel and experience. To your point, Dan, like you kind of mentioned, this is a very inexperienced young team as much as it is the culture and I think the, the coaching that's been in place from Dignall and the entire coaching staff. I think the defense really stood out to me, and it's a big reason for that because, like you mentioned, we know Shea's extremely talented offensively, a lot of offensive talents on this team. But then being able to, regardless of who you plugged in, I mean, there were some very random rotations, uh, very <laughs> deep rotations throughout the entirety of the season. It's not like you just had an eight-man rotation throughout the majority of the season. Regardless, who it, it was just a next-man-up mentality defensively, and that really stood out to me for a big reason for their, their success this past year.
4: Uh, Nick, are you on the same page there? Yeah, I think the coaching was
6: huge. Like Mark deserved all of the votes he got for coach of the year and all the hype he got for um, what he did. Not to discount what OKC did, but it was a little bit of lightning in the bottle, I think, where it was minimal injuries. There, there were certainly injuries with guys that were more, you know, fringe rotation to, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth men. Um but they really squeezed every ounce of every player on that team out. Like you look back at that, the, the statistics and like what you saw on the floor, almost every player on the team, maybe pull out two or three guys like we're better than expected. And that's super rare for any team.
4: I guess. Sir, so where do you land on that, Jacob?
5: Yeah, I, I think the defense, like Taylor mentioned, like they were top 12 for a long time. And that's with playing guys like six foot six Kenrich Williams at the center position. Like they just, they threw shit at the wall and it stuck. And it was really impressive. They were playing 34th overall pick rookie Jay Will, Jalen Williams out of Arkansas, starting at center on a, was it a four game road trip in Miami, Philly, Chicago, Brooklyn, and this guy like went toe-to-toe with Joel Embiid. They're like beating the the Nets before it all completely imploded. It, just <laughs> this run that they went on was just phenomenal. I, but you hit the nail on the head. Like the, the catalyst of it all was Shake just alexander the, the clutchness, the efficiency. The kid shot like 11 free throws a game and hit 90-plus percent. That's like a 10-percentage point jump from his like career free-throw percentage rate, you when you put all that stuff together, like Nick said, you, you kind of got lightning in a bottle, but you also look at this team, how young they are, how many guys that you, you just look at, whether it be Josh or Shay or J-Dub, Chet coming in, uh, Dan's favorite play, player on planet Earth, Usman J. Like, the the capacity for growth is so large. It feels like we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg, so it's really exciting. We've got to make Jane
7: Gang shirts and uh, and send Dan one.
4: You, you, called him, you called him Ooze on the podcast. Is that like an actual like Ooze, like O O Z E? We can call him that. Like that's a bad you know, Lil
7: Uzi Bert. I mean, there's all kinds yeah, of. Lil the, Uzi. The ooze Uzi is loose.
4: All kinds I of love make it. Makes. Look, that's just proof, further proof that he's going to make multiple
5: All Star. Teenage games. Mutant Ninja Correct. Turtles 2, Return of the Use. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh, I think for me, I mean, the defensive (laughs) ball pressure, just like, and I think that them being young and the way they they can come at you from the perimeter was intense. Their offense, when you watched it, was very eccentric, where it was, they weren't necessarily living in transition. Like, they would just push and get into their offense early after another team makes a shot. And I thought that was in sort of an understated way that, you know, people looked at the offense and there wasn't enough shooting and outside Shea, would they have they like had a league average half court offense. I think in large part, because no, they weren't necessarily always in transition, but like they were able to get into the lane really quickly with J Dub and Josh Giddey and, and SGA. And like that helped set everything else up. And that probably caught teams off guard, but it was like to do it consistently is not something that other teams complain. Like if you're going to push after makes, you're going to push after makes and like low, it's like, Oh, they're not racing the ball at the floor necessarily, but they're just going to get into their half court offense really early. So I thought that drove it. This is all to say though, they were so good that it got to a point where people like myself wanted them to start making some splashes over the offseason. We all knew they wouldn't. They did the exact opposite. Like, I mean, they get Davis Bertans, they get Victor Oladipo, they have Case and Wallace now, they bring over Mijic, sign him. Jacob, and you two can chime in after, you know, Jacob says whatever, so I don't make this podcast last two hours by going through each of you individually <laughs> for the question. Uh, were you, I know you weren't surprised by how the off season played out, but what were your general
5: impressions of how their offseason played out? There was a little bit of surprise. Like, I was a believer that Vasile Mitchich was just never coming over. So that was a big surprise to me. Renting out the cap space, not a surprise at all. This is a team whose biggest free agent acquisition ever is probably Nerland's Noel
7: when he left the Dallas Mavericks. Wow. I guess you could... You Carmelo could, Anthony, maybe if you consider like him waving the no trade clause, but yeah, you know, that's that doesn't <laughs> really count.
5: Paul George after he technically hit free agency for like two hours. Um, this is just the a team honestly, that has- that's impressive though. True. Yeah. Uh <laughs> that, that one was very clearly made with let's run it back one more year. And if you don't like it, we'll trade you. Uh trade turned and out. We'll trade Leonard,
4: too, even though he wasn't even on our roster.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Trade turned out pretty uh pretty daggum good. But So a little bit of surprises in free agency for me just because I didn't think they would bring Michich over ever. But running out the cap space, that's nothing really new with this team. Didn't expect them to make a splash because ever since they traded Russell Westbrook and really kicked off this rebuild, the messaging from the front office has been very clear. They even took out an ad in the local newspaper and wrote a a massive op-ed, a Sam Presti op-ed, which I'm surprised didn't end up going on like a 700 page thesis about how they were going to go through this process. And they were the, the quote that always stuck out to me. We will play the empirical odds, which means they're going to draft guys. They're going to play the draft lottery odds. And that is what they've done. And to be honest with you, I think that is what they will continue to do. You saw some moves over the summer where they take a pick this year or next year and kick the can down the road to 2029. 20, They got a 2029 Denver like top five protected pick. We might all be dead from a nuclear Holocaust in 2029 for all we know, but the Thunder are trying to drag these assets out that I don't know if they're ever cashing in all the picks. I think their plan is just to continue to replenish with draft picks and not dive into free agency and just create this sustainable team of young guys who continue to grow over time. So not a lot from free agency really surprised me. They They told us what they're going to do. They've written what they're going to do, and they're doing it. And if Sam Presti is nothing else, he is consistent in what he does with his messaging.
4: Nick, do you I, think there was any chance that the offseason could have played out differently if we're talking about an actual Chet Holmgren sample size from last season or no, it always would have just, I mean, Jacob kind of out, outlaid it that he believes they're not even ever going to cash in their picks anyway. So would it always have ended this way, even if Chet was the rookie of the year or something? No, I think it actually could look quite different. Um, okay, This is a team that
6: the reason they run these strange lineups we referred to and played Thirteen deep sometimes is because they really value time on court and and analytics and who plays well with who and giving everybody an opportunity. Um, I, I truly think the reason, not that they would have made a huge splash, but the reason that Thunder didn't make any kind of splash this off season is because they want to see what Chet Holmgren looks like before making a move. Right? If if he even summer leagues not enough of a sample size, like if he ends up being a guy that. Okay, he needs to play power forward next to a traditional big. That's completely different than this guy's our permanent five, and you can play J Dub next to him at four long term. And so I think that definitely would have played into it. Like in terms of surprises, though, I was kind of surprised they drafted a guard in Caseen Wallace. Um <laughs> traded up to a, get him no less, too. <laughs> right, right. You you bring in Michich as well, another guard. Um, <sighs> and and this team plays four guard lineups a lot. So there's 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 minutes to go around, no question. But I if you would have gone to my head when that pick came up, who's Oklahoma City taking? I thought Grady Dick would have been the guy because he just like helps you now. He's got a, a ceiling, he's a shooter, he does a lot of things that Thunder need, short and long term. And when it was Casey Wallace, great player, I think he'll up being really, really good. That was probably the most surprising thing for me in the offseason.
4: Is like from Taylor, from what you know or your early impressions of Case and Wallace, who by the way, just I can't say his name without thinking of the protein. I just I can't, I don't <laughs> know why. Uh, like, was he worth like that? They took on the Davis Berton's money, there's some that leaks into next year, and it was to move up two spots. And just based off like kind of how some of the other salary dumps went for other teams like the Spurs, it felt like that could have been worth more. Like, what am I missing with? Cason Wallace the player that he could be and then his overall fit on the Thunder team that as Nick just said has a trillion guards and even if they're going to play four guard lineups like I don't know how many minutes are going to be available for him out of the gate here
7: no it, it's a very fair point i think the first thing and, and again i also was very surprised that Cason Wallace was the pick uh Cason Cason kind of a it became a thing Pre, oh, is it Kason? I could have no, looked no, it no, up. No, and I thought no, it was Kason no. before the draft. No, it's, no, a whole, you're, it's a whole you're correct. soap opera. You're correct. It's yeah, not to take us down that rabbit hole, but that is it, it was a topic of debate there because Kason said that his mom calls him Kason. Uh, our own guy, Jacob, here was there for that introductory press conference, but uh, he actually went in like with the team before Summer League. And corrected the the pronounced pronunciation and and it's Kaysen. so but apparently his mom calls him Kaysen. So, anyways, long story short, I I also was very surprised that Kason was the pick. However, there was some talk there. I I think the the Magic at eleven maybe we're eyeballing Kaysen potentially, but I also think about just like the kind of players that Presti drafts. And this is another, I, mean, I understand. I think he's six four. So he's not short by any means, but has an extremely long wingspan, uh, extremely strong point of attack defender. He also, again, we, uh, we were all, uh, us three were fortunate to be in Vegas for summer league, got to watch his first summer league game and saw what he looks like. Not only with the ball in his hands, uh, like we saw some in Kentucky there at the, uh, the end of the season, but also the shooting. I mean, I think he was like, what, six of like eight from three. Again, it's just off the top of my head for that first. And there's just a lot of things that we saw there in, in Vegas that could translate with how he plays uh, with these guys that we've talked so much about with his Thunder team. It will take some time, though. And so that, that that will be very interesting to see how. And that's a really big question kind of hanging over this Thunder team. How does Dignall balance and Presti balance these young guys and their development versus the trajectory and the improvements of Shea and Giddy and Dort and the competitiveness of this team, right? Like there's there's a fine balance between both of those things. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how how Kaysen kind of fits in that moving forward. And Dan, something we've learned,
6: you've seen this probably the last two seasons, Sam's a great talent evaluator, like no question. His draft history speaks for himself. When he wants a guy, he doesn't care if he overpaid. Look, Usman Jang, he traded three picks for. You know, so and Wallace I mean, taking on the Bertans contract.
7: Technically, it was for both dub and sure, ben, yes, sure, correct, sure. correct, correct,
6: correct. <laughs> but when he wants a guy, he says, I don't care. This is my guy, I'm gonna go get him. And so sometimes we'll see. Time will tell. But kind of gotta trust Sam at some at some point, you know.
4: He gets the benefit of the doubt, which is why I wasn't harsher when we did offseason grades, even though Thunder fans weren't happy with ours. And there was also the element of like they just had all this money that they needed to spend. So like what is taking on Davis Bertans mm-hmm. for them? I just wasn't, this totally steps in the stones of what we talked about on your podcast. I just wasn't a fan of a lot. Just like, well now they can move this trade for a player who's really going to help them like move this player for another player who's really going to help them making more money. And I'm like, but you didn't want them to spend in free agency or make a trade. Now what's the difference if they do that in December, because you saw Chet Holmgren play in 23 games. I guess that, that totally matters. So that's where I landed on it. I just, if his shooting is as advertised and even the way he's going to hustle defensively and what he can do off the ball, I see the vision, but it's like, Jacob, like who is, who's playing more in year one? Is it going to be the 29 year old rookie in, in Misich or Miesch? How, what's his pronunciation? I thought no, I looked dude. at it. I've heard both. Yeah. So this I looked at it. And I heard Jacob calling something different. I'm different. i like, fuck, I've messed that one up. <laughs> um, is it the 29 year old rookie or is it this guy coming out of Kentucky? Who's a little bit of a mystery box the full package just because he's a Kentucky guard and we all know
5: that they're underutilized there. It's such a fun question because these are two totally different players. Like Mitch is the maestro with the ball in his hands, you know, throwing all these assists can shoot the ball. But the question is the defense. We've seen European players who are a little bit older, come over to the league in the past and the defense just cannot hold up. Kaysen is much younger and I mean the dude's a dog like he he doesn't care he'll he'll D up anybody like he just wants to get out there and fight and scrap Sam Presti described him as a no agenda basketball player he just wants to get out there and hustle Jacob
7: who was the football player that uh, oh yeah you had sit there with Mark Dignalt in the after the introductory press conference and Dignalt made a comparison there yeah a
5: reporter asked Dignal Who's your comparison for Casein Wallace? And without missing a beat, Coach goes Ed Reed, safety (laughs) of the Ravens.
7: Ed Reed, I mean, completely unexpected. Like they're expecting a basketball player, and
6: yeah, dealing with those audiences. This is is a really hot take. Uh, Casein Wallace is Jimmy Butler's mentality and on court, like got that dog in him and a guard's body, like that. That is that is the way he plays.
4: You're selling me if that's what it's going to look like. In, in
5: practice. So for the Thunder, like Mark Dagnall values defense. If you get out there and you cannot defend, you are not going to play. There was a whole thing two years ago with Trey Mann and Trey Mann could go out there and he could shoot the piss out of the ball, but he wouldn't defend. Mark would pull him. I always talked about eating your broccoli before you eat your Skittles. That became a big thing in like the right. Thunder universe. Eat your broccoli before you eat your Skittles. I mean, I think defensively, Kaysen can come in and play. But do you go with the guy that has way more experience, albeit not NBA experience, but who you know is going to be a steadying offensive force, can get you into your sets, can hit an open shot? The, the question with Mitchich is always going to be the defense. And so I, it's going to be so interesting to see what he looks like throughout camp, throughout the preseason, the early part of the year. If I had to bet, I would say that Mitchich plays more minutes than Kason Wallace this year. Would not surprise me if Kason plays 10-15 games in the G League either. The Thunder love to utilize their G League program, which is housed in the same building, plays the games on the same floor that the Thunder play on.
4: And I know, I guess, this isn't a huge deal because of OKC's flexibility. But you also you gave him the room exception. And it's like, would he have come stateside? That's good money. But would he have come stateside without the promise? of actual minutes is just where I've kind of, so I've always defaulted to him, but it feels like Kaysen is clearly like the higher upside play just because of not just his youth, but like the actual package that he's could theoretically bring in. We have not talked about, or I haven't, I haven't asked about Chet Holmgren who uh, in case anyone didn't realize did not play uh, last year. So let's start here, Jacob, what are the year one expectations for him looking at, his role is it is are they going to try and bring him along a little bit more slowly even if he's starting is it is he just going to be totally unleashed from the get-go what are they going to look for him to do on offense defense like what what should we expect to see from his year one role on this team de facto
5: year one role excuse me yeah um to make another reference to a dog because he's a dog I, i think the chain's off He's good to go. He's going to go out there. He's going to be starting center night one. I think he's playing the five. That's the plan is to play him at the five. He's a five. I the summer league just I had questions. I'm not going to lie. He's I a think five. a lot of people do. He's a, he's the five. And I, as far as like offensive expectations, this team hasn't had a lob threat like ever. They have had no one that can set a screen, roll to the basket, and get above the rim to catch the pass. We've talked on our podcast. There's a free four assists a game between Shea and Josh Giddy on just lobs to the rim for Chet Holmgren. They've never had anybody like that before. The pick-and-pop game, I, I think he's going to provide a lot as far as spacing is concerned. He was in a boot almost all of last season. All he could do was shoot the basketball, and so he practiced shooting. He said at the end of last season, his goal is to be a 50-40-90 guy. Like... The nerds he, are
4: mad that he didn't refer to it as like a two point, three point percentage type thing rather than 50 49. Yeah. There.
5: And Fair. then defensively, I mean, we talked at the top of the show. They played Kenrich Williams at the five, a six foot six guy. You're now about to put the, the the one thing this team lacked last season was rim protection. And they made up for it with strong point of attack defense. And with J will drawing charges their their rim defense was playing below the rim and drawing charges. Now you bring in arguably the best shot blocking rookie we've seen in what a decade. I think he will completely revolutionize the way that this team plays basketball. Like, I think it's going to look so much different than it looked last year. He, he is insane in drop coverage. And I'm typically not a fan of drop coverage defense, but when you got a guy like Shea or Lou Dort, who can just be a dog at the point of attack, you can let Chet drop and protect the rim. He is so good in not just like reading the play, but his placement, his rotation. You watch some of those summer league games. He's at the top of the key on the left-hand side. And the next thing you know, he's two-hand blocking Jake LaRavia on the other side of the rim and just like sending the guy to the shadow realm. It's Everything will change when Chet Holm takes the floor for the Thunder. And I think it's going to take a while for them to all adjust. But the sky's the limit. I mean, I if you told me he's going to play 65 games next year and average 28 to 30 minutes a game, I'm not surprised at all.
4: Hey, that's double the amount of games Zion will probably play in. So <laughs> progress. Uh, there's and also the element of like him being in drop and just around the basket, like that helps your rebounding. But I think were they 28th in defensive rebounding rate last year so that'll help And he's a skinny dude who will grab boards and the point that jacob was making he reminds me a little bit the ground that he can cover effectively from the outside in anyway is is like anthony davis-esque like what we saw Mm -hmm. anthony davis against the warriors that's what i had to think about it too hard but like that's what it sort of reminded me of jacob did mention though that it might take a while for everyone to adjust nick is there like any specific concern about his fit on this team or adjustments that they're going to need to go through. Is it well, how do SGA and Giddy work with him? Does one of them develop a better connection with him than the other? Does one of them struggle to adapt? Like what is just the biggest, if there is a concern about his fit with this team leading into the season?
6: Yeah. I I think a lot of people talk about Chet Holmgren's difficulty adjusting to the NBA, but the reality is that maybe the guys around him that have a more difficult time adjusting to him. um, This could be, too small of a sample size, but Josh and Chet in summer league last year. So before the injury was, was bonkers. Like on off the court, best buds, you know, perfect chemistry from day one. So I may be foolish. I think they're going to be fine from day one. Um, him and Shay will be a work in progress playing with any superstars tough. Like it's, it's just a different game. Um, I, I, I do wonder how the Thunder approach him being near the rim versus on the perimeter. I think there's a lot of things Chet does really well in space, but it takes him away from the rim. He, he covers ground great, he can go block shots on the weak side. But um, I think that could be an adjustment that's tough for him specifically is like putting himself in a spot to do the things he does well as often as possible because he's so versatile. You can put him in spots that he will still be impactful. But may inherently remove some of the value he brings because he's not in the spot that he's most impactful. If that makes sense,
4: yeah. Is there a chance, we, even though we're all in agreement that he's a five, Taylor? Is there a chance that we see like him and Jay will play minutes together? Like they'll play him with another? I say true big, but like there's Jay will, and that's just that's it.
5: Like, Absolutely. <laughs> How dare you disrespect Alexei Pokashevsky, Dan?
4: Uh, even wearing he's an the everything Pokemon everything shirt. Player. Yeah, but like, uh, correct. Thunder just find these seven footers who um, can play all over the court, growing on trees, him, Usman Jang.
7: Like, they're just, they're all over the place, apparently. <laughs> it, it is a very fair point. Like, I keep thinking about this, Dan. Just a, a, a complete fun aside. Imagine a ridiculous, what I'm calling the uh, quote unquote long boy lineup of Shea, Giddy, Usman Jang, Poku, and Chet.
4: Like, it's just too much like is that's like wingspan that can cover the circumference of the earth that right type
7: deal? yeah it'd be wild to your point yes and again i make that joke only because it just shows you the versatility of this team and something that we've talked a lot about on our podcast something that you talked about when you came on on our podcast here not very long ago is the versatility right a bunch of long versatile high iq basketball players who can just rip the ball, uh, off the rim and take it in transition. Like, yeah, you, you could see Chet playing the four. And I, I mean, honestly, like there's not going to be a true four or five. Like you see, you could see Chet with any combination of like, we talked about Kendrick Williams playing the five last season. Right. Um, but yes, I think we will see him with like a true, maybe a more traditional five, like Joel, think about yeah. yeah, right, yeah, and I even think <laughs> about there, there's a two way player like Joel. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I I even think about uh, there's a two way player that the Thunder signed uh, Olivier Saar, who's been with the team uh, on two way and and ten day contracts here over the past year or two. Uh, a seven two like kind of true big. Uh, his younger brother actually is a very prominent NBA draft prospect in this upcoming draft which may or may not have something to do with that. Uh, we'll see. Regardless, like, I, I, I do see Chet playing alongside somebody like a, an Olivier Saar or, um, gosh, may, like you said, like a, a J. Will. But ultimately, I see him playing that true five, kind of like Jacob alluded to.
4: Shea Gilchrist-Alexander has become a problem for this podcast because you reach a certain level of awesome. You can't really ask any more questions, but these podcasts are designed for the people who don't follow the Thunder, even though the most compliments we get are from people who probably follow the Thunder because we have you guys on. Is there a next frontier for him? Is it just like, Taylor, is it like, oh, look, he shot actual three-pointers like on volume this year? Uh, Like, what is like, what would the next frontier for Shea
7: Gilchrist-Alexander even look like at this point? I mean, honestly, and again, like uh, very much admitting my my homerism here, uh, full disclaimer. But you see him in FIBA, and Dan, you talked about that when he came on our our, our podcast. Like it, it just, it almost seems like he's continuing to take a leap after what he did last season when he finished top five in MVP voting, was uh, first team All NBA, and I think he will continue that. But like what we're seeing, we saw a more consistent three point shot, we saw more elite separation. Uh, in terms of his step back shot like a step back from three and he's going to continue to create we talked about chet coming here you know coming into this the starting lineup and giving him more options there and even this thunder team surrounding him with more shooters like there is a lot to be excited about with shea and again like you you don't you don't want to overhype it per se but like I don't know, Dan. I, I think he might be able to take, I, I don't want to say another similar leap to last season, but I think he will improve. And uh, we'll be talking about Shea as an all-star, and potentially top three MVP candidate. Like that's kind of maybe the best case scenario. It's curious it's the to the other guy's
6: thoughts. For me, it's the defense. Like we we we've we saw Shea take a huge leap defensively last year. But if you go back and watch, it was mostly like crunch time, fourth quarter, um, like when it mattered most, he showed he could defend. Like, Can we see that all game long? Can you carry that offensive load while also being that guy on defense? all? G- it's exhausting. There's very few guys that can do it. But that, to me, is like the, the three-point shot's obvious. But if he can be a high-level defender, disruptor on that end, playmaker on that end, all game long, I mean... Good grief. What, what is the ceiling at that
7: point? So really quick before Jacob goes, Dan, you actually mentioned this on our podcast earlier that we, we recorded before this. So I went ahead and pulled up these stats because I had a screenshot of it. That's what he joked about uh, after the he recording hold up was the over. People on YouTube, yeah, I, I'll <laughs> go ahead and, and, and hold it up for the people to see. Taylor um, does not fuck around. That's right. I got my my stats and I am uh, prepared. But in terms of defense, Shea was number one, loose balls recovered number two in deflections, number one amongst guards in contesting threes, number one amongst guards in blocks, and number three amongst guards in steals. So he really did take a pretty significant leap defensively this past season to next point.
5: Jacob, you have anything to add on on Shea? I think they covered it. Just every time Shea takes a step away from organized basketball, he comes back better. You know, he was the 12th pick in the draft. He came in, he over achieved in his rookie year Uh, i have a stats pulled up here when you just look at points throughout his career 10.8 to 19.0 to 23.7 to 24.5 to 31.4 we talk a lot about progress not being linear his is pretty daggum linear like it's every time he leaves he comes back with something new a couple years ago it was the step back three and it didn't work so you've mentioned what he do last year he just purged it. He shot like two a game. I wouldn't be surprised to see those numbers go up. And I think Nick brings up a good point about making the defensive impact more consistent across the game. The thing is, with all these young guys and all, the, all this promise on this team, he doesn't have to go out and gun on offense every single night now. He can okay. defer a little bit more and save some of that energy and be more of an impactful defender. I think we will see a better Shea Gilgis-Alexander this coming season, even if it's not just basic stats better.
4: I think... I I was so impressed with him defensively. You guys watched him more than I did over the past few years, obviously. So, like, I'm just... He carries such a heavy load on offense, and I don't know why you would want to necessarily take away from that load right now, even though you have j you have Josh Gidding, you have Chet Holmgren. But I could see something I didn't think about until Jacob just um gave his answer is like if lou dort kind of gets squeezed from this rotation because of the way it's set up and if he's like taking too many shots because it's very clear that he needs to take fewer shots at this point um then everyone sort of gets leveled up a bit and so you have j dub but then like a lot more of a burden falls on sga and josh giddy but i do think like when you look at someone like the matchups shay found himself in most frequently last season like, they weren't nobody dudes. Like, they, were got, they weren't They were stationary guys, so I'll say. They weren't primary ball handlers for the most part, but they weren't stationary. And he was just, there weren't as many lapses. It felt like he was doing really well in the gaps. I was just so floored. It comes back to, I think it's a cliche, it's just the shooting. Like, dude, fire up more threes because he he's hit enough big moment step backs where it's like, hey, if you shoot 33%, 31% on those, there's value in the volume. But I will ask you collectively this. Do you guys know what he shot? on step-back threes last year?
5: Off the top of my head, no. I know two seasons ago, it was very poor. I don't know what it was last year, though.
4: I knew it off the top of my head only because I belabored it to no end in a few things
7: I wrote. 37.2% wow. last year. Oh, about 70, okay. Darn it. I, it I wanted 70, to guess. 80, I was going to say 34. 80. So 37 is... That's impressive. kind of impressive. 37.2.
4: Step-back step back, step back threes, by the way. Not just, like, we're yeah. filtering out yeah. these step-back twos there. So... Shay, if you're listening, you obviously are like, just fucking take them. Like, come on. Like, just, just take them. Uh, Nick, I was labeled a Josh Giddy hater. Uh, and I think deservedly. So I was just so low on him. I went on your podcast last year, talked about how low I was on him. I said it many times on my podcast. He proved me wrong. Like 80 times over to start. What was the biggest development for him last season or the thing that he did better or added to his game? That was most impressive to you.
6: I think probably a cop out answer, but I think just the the ability to process the game and no moment being too big. Like his best game of the season, arguably, was in the play in.
7: Arguably, I
6: agree. Where yeah. a lot of guys at, I mean, was he was he even
4: twenty yet? Was he nineteen? Was he twenty at that time? He was twenty. He was twenty. Um, Can we make him the new like perma nineteen year old like Jason Tatum is? Because I had no idea he was that young until we did you your podcast and you guys
7: like not, not even, even 21 yet.
4: Yet. yeah it's it's nuts
6: but the way he process like if, if you if you didn't really watch the nba and you just went and watched a thunder game and you watch josh giddy the way he leads the offense and reads the 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 game and processes the game and makes the right moves you would think the dude's been in the league for 10 years and while we saw flashes of that as a rookie there was a lot of bad rookie mistakes as well um there's still room to improve but like at that age, the way the team performed, a lot of it's not what you did well. It's what you didn't do wrong. Like, if you, if you turn the ball over a lot as a team, you're you're kind of screwed. It doesn't matter who's on your roster, Tiger playing. His ability to, like, play smart and have the ball in his hands a lot. I mean, he 2.8 turnovers a game last year. For how much he had the ball in his hands at his age, super impressive. So that was what stuck out to me most. There, there's obviously, like, the three-point shooting was improved. Um, started drawing fouls a bit more, uh, a little bit better defensively. Like there's a lot of things to love about what he did, but the processing just bonkers. Like it's, it's next level.
4: Uh, same question to you and Jacob Taylor, uh, Jacob and Taylor, excuse me. Like anything, was it the shooting? Was it the processing? Was it even just shot like 50 something percent on floaters last year? I think too, it's like that part of his game was, was really polished. Anything else, like just what stood out the most to you will go Jacob.
5: I think, I mean, Nick hit the nail on the head. I think another piece that goes into that is just the toughness. I think as a rookie, a lot of guys kind of get pushed around unless you're know, like Steven Adams who came in the league and took a sucker punch from Zach Randolph and kept <laughs> jogging down the court. I Josh took a big leap as far as just his physicality. That's something that this team harped on a lot at their end of season interviews two years ago after Josh's rookie season. And you just saw a lot more of that from him. Uh, Sam Presti noted specifically like this in traffic rebound that Josh got at the end of a Chicago bulls game in Oklahoma city that kind of sealed the win for the Oklahoma city thunder and how he didn't care if he was the point guard or he just went in there. He bullied some guys out of the way. He grabbed a rebound and sealed the game off and just, I think my favorite – two of my favorite plays from Josh Giddy last year. One was in that playing game when – I'm going to forget the guy's name. He played at Edmund Santa Fe. He's a wing for – Josh Richardson. Josh, Josh Richardson, Richardson, yeah. Took for a sure shot he, and got, and got Giddy in the how nuts. How did you
4: know the backstory of Josh Richardson without knowing Josh? I didn't know anything you said until you just said the – hey, Not it. a
5: lot of NBA guys come out of Oklahoma City, Dan. So uh, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. when we get him, we – remember him except when we're on the hard work podcast and I forget his name Um, Josh Richardson like took a shot and like hit Giddy in the nuts and Giddy got up like ready to swing and was like screaming at him and you could very clearly see on the broadcast he was like pointing at Richardson saying don't do that shit again so that was moment number one moment number two was a game in Brooklyn when he backed down do you guys remember who it was
7: Was it Claxton?
5: Yeah, I think it was Claxton. He backed down Nick Claxton, turned around, hit a layup over his head. I mean, he was being physical. And then did the two small gesture. Yeah. Yeah, Pointed at him, did the two (laughs) small gesture on the way back down the court. And Josh, he can get a little hot. And you love to see it from a 20-year-old. I think he just took such a leap with his physicality and just playing tough. If he comes in this season at like... 220 pounds, 220, 6'9", 225 point guard. Like, what do you do with that? Yeah, the shot's not great. I think it'll continue to grow because he's 20. But to me, one of the biggest steps for him was just learning the physicality of the game and embracing it. A lot of guys will shy away from that. I think the Thunder are building a team just, again, full of dogs who just want to get after it, want to get physical, want to rough the game up. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to start kind of seeing that as their identity moving forward. Taylor, what should we be
4: watching most closely for from Josh Giddy in year three, whether it's something to perfect, add to his game, or just a
7: concern or anything? Well, I, I think the low hanging fruit here is the three-point shooting, right? We saw that improve, but that is going to be huge because we've talked so much about this, Dan, uh, already uh, being here on your podcast, but we talked a lot about it when you were on our, you were on our podcast as well. When you're playing alongside players like Shay Gilgis-Alexander and uh, Jalen Williams, uh, aka J Dub, Santa Clara J- Jalen Williams, and you have all the uh, Mitchich even like you have all these different ball handlers. You have this identity that the that Preston and the Thunder are building towards, where you have so many different guys who can do play, play, make at a high level, but you're going to need some spot up shooting. I believe Giddy was much better at that last season, uh, 34 points in. 34% is off the top of my head and, and that is an improvement, especially like you mentioned earlier, Dan, like when you have somebody like Chip England coming in from the, the San Antonio Spurs, like that is huge. And he spent a lot of time with Josh Giddy this last year. Uh, and that that's not just like hearsay, like <laughs> every picture in practice, like he was right there with Josh Giddy. And they're obviously honing in on that because they they want Shay and, and Josh to be able to play alongside one another and be incredibly efficient. But I think that three point shooting, that spot up shooting, even off the dribble, that three point shooting is going to be very important for this team moving forward. I'll throw in one. I,
6: I alluded to it a second ago. He got better, a long way to go. Um, most guys that that break out from like this young rising star to an actual star, they rapidly increase their point production from the free throw line. Like mm-hmm. that's when they generate the point we saw mm-hmm. from Shea. Okay. Josh Giddy's free throw rate was like 13% last year. Like just one low. of the worst on the team.
4: And he gets to the rim a lot for a lot. guy in his position. Yeah, so Great.
6: consider consider his frequency as a driver and as a, a rim shooter and that free throw rate. It's just like if he can fit, and he talked about it at the end of the season, it really is something you have to learn. Like in the league, you got to learn how to draw fouls. When he gets that and he's taking five, six, seven free throws a game, tack on an extra five points. Now we're talking about a guy that's averaging 22 you know, nine and seven. You know what I mean? It's it's that, that is the next thing for Josh Giddey. To
7: and we talked so much about this on our, uh, the uncontested podcast. we were talking about Shay and that next step he needed to make here. I mean, not quite a year ago, more like two years ago. Uh, we talked a little bit about it some last off season as well. We saw Shay do that. Well, in FIFA again, I mean, at FIFA again, like this is very FIFA. <laughs> I've been watching my, uh, my Chelsea blues a little too much recently um and fiba like we we saw that i believe he averaged like around and guys correct me was it 9 free throw attempts per game something around there like if if that can translate into the regular season that's very exciting is it too national podcaster who
4: doesn't watch any games of me jacob to be curious about like what do the no sga minutes look like with giddy this year because i think when you dig into the numbers they were not good last year. I think they were, were I have it here, 10th percentile in offense. Uh, they weren't hitting threes at a high clip, and I'm just wondering how much, does that have anything to do with Giddy's limitations, or is it more about, well, how much shooting was in those lineups? Because if you're going to dig into those, there are a lot of like, okay, well, he's with both Jalen is, and maybe they're throwing Isaiah Joe out there, but there's at least one other shooting liability, so there could be times you're playing with Giddy and then three shooting liabilities, or three sub-average shooters. Was it more about that? than any limitations of Giddy's game.
5: I think the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? It's in the gray area. He's got to take the next step as being like a self-creator and not just a creator for others. Um, I think also just some of those statistics, just Shea was so damn good that anytime he was off the court, things went downhill pretty quickly. But yeah, I, I think you could put some of that at the feet of Josh, but I think this year there's going to be so many other tools around him when Shea is off the floor. You put Mitchich out there with him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a lot of no Shea, but Josh Giddy and Chet Holmgren lineups. Cause those two have already proven they have great cre- chemistry. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of Josh Giddy and J dub together. Whenever Shea's off the floor, just to try to maximize what Josh is good at, which is get inside and then find open guys as shooters, but even more importantly as cutters, this team, the death of a thousand paper cuts, they, they'll just cut to death and get shots at the rim. Uh, so I want to be surprised to see a little more uh, intentionality around him whenever Shea is off the floor. But I do think it, it's a combination of some of it's Josh and he's a, he's a second year guy who slumped at the beginning of the season, started to rise at the end. And, you know, some of the pieces that they had around him. I think both of those things are totally fair.
4: Yeah. I think it's different when you're not only not worried about covering him like on threes, but you're not covering like two other players. You don't care. Exactly. Gonna, like you clog the lane and make
5: the game nasty. Old man winter
4: here.
0: If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven.
4: Uh, Nick, keeping with the what we just saw versus what should we be watching moving forward onto Jalen Williams, what most impressed you or surprised you about Jalen Williams's rookie se- J Dub's rookie season? Sorry. A lot of things.
6: Um, I'll admit I was not the the highest on him coming into the draft. Like he he started to get that really late buzz during the pre-draft process, and people were talking about him as a, a late first, mid first round guy. When he went in the lottery, I was like, holy cow, like that is that feels like a reach um, <clears throat> I think the improved three-point shooting surprised me a lot like he he came out and was really bad from three early on. I think he finished the season 36, 37% from three um, early in the years like in the 20s for a long long time. Um, the defense didn't surprise me there's a lot of people I got crucified on Twitter early in the season for saying Jalen Williams defense is underrated. Don't be shocked when he makes a huge impact. And you know, people look at the numbers. He's so bad on defense. I'm Like dude, the, he's played four games. Like
4: give him a for chance. Ball, look at the numbers on defense is just so such a fucking stupid. So true. Thing
6: yes. Those,
7: those metrics, they can be useful. Team They're stats. So imperfect.
6: Right. percent, hundred percent. And also
7: the dude had a crater in like, and not a crater in his face, but he like broke his eyeball. Uh, game one. <laughs> for game, game one. one. Um,
5: he said on a recent podcast that like he still has to take eye drops and sleep sitting up yeah he
6: said he couldn't see like, he, he couldn't see peripheral peripherally it's a really hard word yeah. out of the eye that got hit until like Christmas time
7: he <laughs> got hit in October so yeah yeah I wish he would have played with an eye patch. Person basically I've... dubbed it all that on one eyeball. Imagine what he's gonna do with two eyeballs. This yeah, season. he said he peripheral vision.
5: <laughs> yeah, he he said he shot at two rims for like two uh, months.
6: Sorry,
7: Dick, I can believe. No, there. no, it's You're good. I'll, I'll
6: I'll conclude with this. The the thing that shocked me most, which I don't know if it's sustainable. Dan, you may have an opinion on this. His at the rim efficiency was not just like rookie good, but like top of the league good i'd love for that to continue that's gotta draw that that feels like a regression to the mean pretty hard this year
4: I, so i mean sure you're not like i think you're not going to shoot 70 percent at the rim all the time i would guess anyway right. unless you're a big right however now you're putting him in a better spacing environment and he was just in an imperfect one and like if he can do a little bit more if there's like a little bit more laterality to his game, maybe this I didn't know about the peripheral vision thing. Like, maybe that's why I felt like there wasn't a lot of on ball laterality to his game, like the east westness. He's going to add that. Why wouldn't like now you have Chet Holmgren if he's in lineups with Michich and maybe Josh Giddy makes another shooting slump? Like, if he's in a lineup consistently with three shooters like around him who might be considered a shooter at this point himself, yeah. I, I wouldn't rule it out.
7: Uh, Jacob, well, I would like to make a motion to uh kick out Nick from the uncontested and add Dan. <laughs> that'd
6: be, that'd be that Would be a, a lopsided trade. That's trading Giannis for Isaiah Joe <laughs> in Dan's favor. Dan is Giannis. That's
7: that's not true. We need, we need Nick for the balance. Uh, yeah, you got the very, dynamic you guys Nick, have. In, contested. It's Nick's one of my very best knows. friends. I, I like to give him a hard time as he does to me. Yeah, I
4: give. I do the same thing to my co-host who picked Jalen Williams to win Rookie of the Year. My man. In I did not know that any opinion related to the orlando magic could go that viral um oh, I, and it isn't about an insult to learn, to the magic man. like fans like we've their look ahead podcasts actually are one of our better performing look ahead podcasts um the stuff that was on twitter because i just i thought he made a compelling argument for Dub, so i put it on twitter mistake one um <laughs> and it just got picked up but and there was like people from like big websites just claiming he doesn't watch games and it's like <laughs> Bro, you cover another sport, Mr... Who's that guy at the ringer? He's really funny. He does a great job. Kevin, uh, he's a Magic fan. Does anybody know? He's not at the ringer oh, anymore, man. Uh, oh, shoot. I know who
7: you're There's talking about. There's a producer. Yeah, forget yeah.
4: You know. what? He doesn't deserve... As He seems like a great guy. He was really fucking shitty on that day with Grant. But, like, huh. it went... Magic fans were rabid. And I thought Grant was wrong. I picked pe- pe- Palo Pancaro. Um, I thought his role was just more complex. Like, he's a Santa Clara alum, so... If you need someone who's high on J Dub, uh, <laughs> okay, he is a Brand- sit. So there's a
7: little bit of maybe some, but, but I love him already. I mean, so Brandon I, Pajemski
6: is going to have some propaganda on your pod this year, then. I love it. Yeah, I mean,
4: it. and look, this—the amount of times we have like Steve Nash references on this podcast when we're never ever talking about Steve Nash since he got fired from the the Brooklyn Nets—is just—it's impressive, honestly. <laughs>
7: Saruti, that's the name. I just went blank. He's a producer for uh, was that Saruti who reached out? No, it wasn't, and I can't even look him up because I unfollowed I him when I saw uh, like how rude yeah, you're good. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe it's not
4: even Kevin now I'm thinking about it, but he hosts the NFL show. There's like i out there's
6: Ketchum's
7: right now, it's not even probably Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
6: no, look, what else? All the
7: Kevins of the rant, KOC, he, he's good, but the other Kevins, <laughs> um, so Jacob, what should we be watching for most? with Jalen Williams
4: entering year
5: two. What should we not be watching? Is there something
4: you're hoping he adds, or is it, let's see what he looks like in the offensive pecking order now that Chet is there?
5: I think he's still going to be high in the pecking order. I I would say probably the three-point shooting. Uh, Nick mentioned it. He shot uh, 35.6% on 2.7 attempts last year. To see that go up a little bit he's got some juice from outside. He's got a step back game. He's I mean, he played point guard his whole life until he got to Oklahoma city. I would probably say the three point shooting and the defense are like the two things where if he makes jumps there, it, it just, it gets to silly time really quick. He's Uh, built like a freaking brick house. He's six, six. He, when you look at Instagram pictures, like he's getting drug tested as soon as he gets to camp. <laughs> sure. I mean, he got jacked.
7: literally he, he <laughs> made got, a joke about that. Like, yeah, on-
5: he's six, six with a seven, three wingspan. I mean, he just has all the physical tools. You guys are talking about is at the rim finishing. A lot of that is just his footwork and his positioning and his physicality. Like he just bullies guys out of the way. He's such a great cutter. He gets so many plays just off back cuts. Really cerebral player that now that he's going to start the season, being able to use both eyes—I mean, the the (laughs) sky's the limit. You know, I—I am very, very, very high on J Dub. He and he's the one guy on this team that, to me at least, really fits. Like, this is what a really good NBA player looks like. Like Josh is so unique. Mm. And Chet, people look at, I can't tell you how many, like, very casual NBA fans, like, know I run an NBA podcast and say, well, there's no way Jet Holmgren's going to be able to play in the NBA. Someone's going to back him down to the rim. And I'm like, all right, bro, it's not 1985. Like, the game has changed. But theres they're so specific and so unique in what they do. And J-Dub, like, to me, J-Dub looks so much like a Jimmy Butler and like a, a Jalen Brown and like a Paul George and like a Kawhi Leonard, he just he has that type of size and build and, and style of play that he's the one that is like most replicable. I don't know if that's a word uh, to like just kind of like copy paste your traditional NBA superstar. Will he get there? I don't know, but he's he's the one that fits the mold the easiest, and I just think that the combination of the physical tools um the the basketball iq the unselfishness i I think it's really going to pop this year
7: and we've talked a lot about this Uh, sorry dan i and i want your i want your opinion on this because we've talked a lot about uh, for example uh here a year ago we were talking about shay or two years ago we're talking about shay getting to the free throw line it's kind of his next step into nba stardom Uh, we just talked about josh giddy getting to the free throw line more being more physical and I, I understand you need spacing on a basketball team in, in this day and age, but... The Toronto last, Raptors disagree, but continue. Yeah, fair point. But this... Er, sorry, this last season, uh, J-Dub averaged 5.2 free throw attempts point uh, <laughs> free throw attempts per game on 77% from the free throw line. And when you saw him at size, like, I'd love to see him get to the free throw line more. That those are just... I mean... Do you he need has- spacing if all your guys can get to the free throw line at, at such a high rate, and and make them at such a high rate? I, I don't know. It's just, it's a fascinating thing to think about.
4: He does have the type of build though, where it feels like he won't get the benefit on a lot of plays near the basket, like that whistle, just because he's so strong that dudes will either bounce off of him, or it's like it's like the Zion effect kind of where it looks like <laughs> he's getting just womped, and it's just oh no, like he's huge. So and especially some of the players that are going to be defending him, it might be smaller, but. Yeah, there's that. And I would like – I mean, Jacob mentioned that he has a little bit of a step back. I would like to see more of just sort of the the squishiness to his on-ball game where it's like, is there the pull-up? He didn't really bust out. I think I, I only saw like one step back attempt from him that I'm remembering in games that I watched. So I'd like to see if he could add that. I don't know if it's necessary. But speaking of infinitely scalable future NBA superstars, Usman Jang is – Nine feet tall, as we mentioned on your podcast. And if anyone wants to outline the picture that's apparently floating around out there, feel free. I, I hey, ideas
7: to you, Nick, or as uh, to Dan. Uh, oh, so. I, I can't
4: wait to look. Then um, he, I actually think he's a pretty cerebral player on offense. When you look at the passing feel, anyway, I think he's. You guys had mentioned he's a little slow in space defensively. I think around the basket, he's really fantastic. Now he's just bigger, so I just like I can only imagine what that'll look like. So he needs to get quicker. What I'm struggling with here. Um, I'll throw this to Jacob. What is his role on this team because he doesn't feel, to use your phrase, copy and paste on offense at all. I just don't know what he is without the ball, and there are so many different mouths to feed on the ball now or so many different skill sets um, that is he in danger of not playing a prominent role, or can we expect him, assuming he stays healthy, uh, that he is going to be like
5: sixth or seventh in this rotation? It's a great question.. Um just because we didn't see much of him at all last year. And when we did, he was showing some really good flashes before the wrist injury. There was a game down in Atlanta where he came in and had like nine or 10 points and like two or three assists. And, and it was just like, wow, like here's us and he looks awesome. Summer league started a little rocky for him. One thing that really stuck out to me, and, and this is kind of, back to the on-ball stuff that you mentioned, Dan. There was a game in Summer League against the Indiana Pacers. The Thunder had like four guards and zero of them knew how to get the ball to Chet Holmgren on a post-up, on a roll to the rim, on a cut, anything. Then they put the ball in Usman Jang's hand and he immediately got like four assists to Chet, just like feeding it over the top of the pick and roll. Uh, and over the help defense, um, you know, throwing these these wraparound passes. The Thunder are very, very clearly building a team of players who can pass, dribble, and are working on the shooting. They want guys that have a high level of IQ, and as Sam Presti has described it, play with more rhythm, less pattern. I feel like Usman Jang really fits that. If the catch and shoot 3 can come along, especially from the corners, he's pretty good at cutting. I think all three of us would agree our biggest complaint from for Usman Jang last year was the inability to take contact. He would shy away from contact. He would shoot these weird like finger rolls and these these floaters and we're saying like dude you're 6'9", 6'10", 2'15", like go yam it on somebody. I think he's starting to learn to embrace that contact more, which will come in great handy cutting off the ball. I don't see a ton of possessions for him where he is like the on-ball creator, but I think in the ideal Thunder system, they don't want one guy sitting with the ball all of the time. They want that ball to ping around Uh drive, cut, kick, cut, drive, kick out, drive, cut, kick again. And then somebody's got a wide open layup. Guys that can make very fast decisions. And I think, I mean, Usman Jang played point guard his whole life. Like he shot up six inches in like his high school, junior, senior year before he went over to New Zealand to play for the Breakers and kept all those guard skills. Kind of a theme with this team, right? Theme with this team. And I think that's where he fits in. I think it's going to take some time. But if you told me at the end of the year, who's has played in 70 games and is averaging 18, 20 minutes. Like I wouldn't be surprised, especially now with the Poku injury to start the season. There's a lot more open reps for a big wing on this team. And I think Jang is ready to slide in. And you you want to talk about young guys like Jang's like freaking 15 or something. I don't know. He's like, he's a baby. He is so young I, I i honestly I think Nick is he still nineteen is he 20 I think 20 he was he's, he's 20 tw- 20 in may he just turned twenty I think he's younger than like all but ten guys that went in the first round back in June so he's he's still very very young what I wonder what his six man of the year betting odds would be like if,
4: even if there's like a sports book that's offering those I would be uh, shocked if he was on there,
6: but if
7: he I was, was inside, I don't think he will even be on there.
4: You you can't trust the Thunders like, I mean, entire rotation really for guys getting allocated. You certainly can't trust it off the bench, but I would 100%. I mean, like when you're looking at who would be the first guys off the bench, unless they're planning on eventually like moving Lou Dort there or something. He's not really a six man of the year type guy. I'd just, I'd just be intrigued. Like I'd yeah. just be intrigued to know what they are. Uh, Nick, given the, I mean, there's the Poku injury, but given they have Jay Will, Chad Holmgren now, uh, the Kenrich Williams at center lineups that we all have an affinity for. And I, I mean, I guess are we going to say Uzman was at center lineups as you're like the dude's like nine feet tall. like You might as well try it. Is Poku no longer a thing? And don't let the fragile state of my heart relative to your answer <laughs> impact what that answer actually is. Poku I mean, is- look at this
7: shirt that you're wearing there, Dan. Great yeah, shirt. go to the, yes. the
4: Merch right here. <laughs> Great. Great. You're being blocked by a mic. There we go. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think
6: people, the injuries have been super unfortunate. Like, this is three in a row now that have kept him out um, for at least several weeks. But people forget at the beginning of the season, he was phenomenal. And not only was he phenomenal, he was playing in a role that he really probably shouldn't be playing. Like, he was thrust into playing a lot of center where I, if you ask me, he's not a center. Like he is, he's a wing to me. He's like a combo forward. Um, so I, I think absolutely assuming he comes back healthy and can, he's going to miss training camp, which kind of sucks for rotational purposes. But if he can integrate himself into the lineup in the first 10, 15 games, um, I think he could be a guy. I would take Poku six men of the year odds before I would take Oos. I'll say that. Um, it's, it's human nature to have recency bias. If we reround back to November, Poku is awesome. So I'm not out on him. Um, Got to stay healthy, obviously. But the things he does at his size, like defensive playmaker, he was guarding all five positions, blocking, stealing, in the passing lanes, um, grab a rebound, push the ball like he's a guard. Like He is very, very good. And I think he checks a lot of the boxes for the Thunder want. And he can slot into four positions. We've seen point Boku. I don't think we'll see point Boku much this year. But he theoretically can play five positions, and we've seen it. So um, I, I think it would be shocking if he wasn't in the rotation early in the season.
4: Music to my ears. And I will say, I think it's important that nationally everyone says recognize, recognize that Like, this isn't a some novelty. Like, he, you mentioned the stuff he was doing defensively. I thought he got really a lot better as a... Helper last year. And I think even Sam Pressi talked about all the improvement he has made incrementally, even if you don't notice it each year. And I do, you know, you mentioned him pushing the ball. One of the things that I think impressed me most, there's a point in the season, I don't remember what it was, he knew where to be without the ball. And it just felt like he was making quicker decisions when the ball came to him mm-hmm. in the half court. I really believe, all jokes aside, this is like a could be an impactful NBA player. And so I hope he's in the rotation. But this is one of the things that I'm incredibly uh, biased on. The, um, Taylor the thing I wanted to ask here is we kind of mentioned all these different dudes. Now the thunders record this have 19 players under contract. I believe what are some, there are some easy guys where it's like, okay, like Jack white's not going to be on the overnight roster. We just know it's not going to happen. But like who else, like, how are we trimming from this to get down
7: to like the roster maximum? And that's, that's the big question hanging over this Thunder's offseason, right? A, a great problem to have, granted, but something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast – sorry, on the uh, the Uncontested podcast. Uh, Dan, I believe we even uh, asked you a little bit about this when you were on the Uncontested here earlier as well. It gets very tough. But you think about guys like, for example – and this is something we've tried to preach over the past couple of years. Like They're going to be very good players who are cut, I shouldn't say very good, but they're, they're going to be competent NBA players who are cut from this team and will probably go on to other teams and, and flourish. That's just the reality of what Sam Presti is building. And, and it shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, fill in the blank player went to this team and has been playing so well. Why did the Thunder cut him? Well, because he didn't necessarily fit with what they're building. And and you know there will be opportunities for these other players to go and flourish. And some of those players that I'm thinking of are, for example, Trey Mann. Trey Mann is a player who showed a lot of promise his freshman season. Freshman season. I, I'm a very much in college football mode right now. His rookie season, but this past year he kind of struggled, yeah, he, he, especially with some of these guards and playmakers like that we've talked so much about here uh, tonight. Trey Mann's one that's on the top of my mind right now. I think about JRE, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who also had a very good Rookie season, but last year kind of struggled between injuries, being in and out of the rotation. But a very competent NBA player, one of those guys from Villanova, we talked so much about uh, on our podcast the Villanova, that Kentucky guys, these guys who can at uh, that same really, uh, same pressing really values from these college programs who can come in and impact a game immediately, right? Or, or, or can impact a team immediately. But they've kind of fallen out of the pecking order because. Like you get to a point where the Thunder rat, do you value the development of guys that we've talked about, such as um why am I am I going blank? Now Usman Jang and, and players of that nature that you want to see some of that development from compared to like getting JRE just some plain time. I, I think JRE, Trey Man are two of the ones that come to the top of my mind. Jacob, Nick, who am I missing here? I mean, Jack White's an obvious one as well. Girl, here we go, we got three. Yeah, I I mean, it's tough.
6: I'd be pretty shocked if JRE was on this roster beyond training camp. Um, Jack White is the obvious one. I think one of the big contracts will likely go, whether it's Bertans or Oladipo. It doesn't mean waiver cut. That could mean trade. Um, Although you probably have to attach an asset, as we saw Oklahoma City get to take on those players. But um, that's just... Taking in one of those players and cutting a Trey man or an Aaron Wiggins is really hard. So you have to like value. Do we think that we could reuse this contract at the deadline? Do we want to take it as expiring money or do we want to continue to have a guy like Aaron Wiggins on the roster? And then Aaron Wiggins is, is probably on the radar as a guy that is fighting for a roster spot. He's a solid rotational player. He's probably a guy that if you never watch the thunder where you don't ball of the thunder. You probably never heard of the guy, but dude is a legit rotation. He played in the play-in had great minutes, right? Um, Trey man's a tough one. I I'd, I'd prefer to see a Trey man trade, even if it's for pennies on the dollar before a cut, he's got upside, man. It's just, he needs some more time to, to fill out
4: the game. Jacob, is this the year that we could see, and this might run counter to just like you go up and down the roster. It's like, no, all of these dudes should play, but is this the year that we could see, Mark Dignall tighten and regularize his rotation.
5: We thought it was going to come last year down the stretch when they're pushing for the playoffs. And there was a very contentious moment in a post game press conference where it may have been the game. These other two guys might remember better a game late in the season where they lost at home to Charlotte and PJ Washington went for like 45 or something ridiculous. And okay. the Thunder just played no defense. And people were very upset that Dagnault played like 12 guys that night. And he said, Hey, whether we're in playing contention or not, we're going through our process and we're giving guys opportunities. And this this isn't the the play in isn't the destination, right? And and we got to figure out what we've got on this roster and give guys opportunities. It's not going to shock me at all when they do that again. Like, will it be a little more regular? Yes, but I don't think it's going to be one of these. We've got nine to 10 guys. They play every night. And then maybe for a week, we're going to rotate somebody else in just to give them an opportunity. Like, Thunder season opens on, what, the 25th? By... Two weeks into the season, if we haven't seen all 15 guys and a two-way guy get significant run, I'll be shocked. That, that's just the way this franchise operates. They're going to give everyone their chance and let them prove it, especially with how young they are.
6: And early, they they like to get the rookies and young guys minutes before the G League showcase starts, mm-hmm. and they send those guys down. So it's like a get your minutes now, send you the G League, and, they, and they'll send guys that are third, fourth-year players to the G League too um and then another group gets an opportunity while those guys are down and it just i agree jacob i i think it's going to be the by committee approach once again
4: so if you were forced to choose and i am forcing you to choose what would the top 10 rotation for this team look like and sort of as a guide i feel like they do have nine locks where if you look at josh giddy sga lou dort J Dub, chet holmgren ushman jang kenrich williams Jay will, and then I have Isaiah Joe as a lock just because, because of the shooting. So, would if we're just like the top 10 that you think you're going to see the most this year, would those nine be in it? Do you think there's like, should we be displayed? Like, is someone more of a question mark that's from that group? I'd remove
1: kinda, Jang
7: and add Mitchich. Oh, that's a good Hanger. point. And see, that, that's where that's it's where so it's difficult. so interesting because, like, Keyson like po- Wallace does,
5: does Poku go in there?
4: Well, there's right. a, I did leave off one spot, so there's like a 10 spot to give out. Yeah, it's like, we yeah. could have. Nick, we could have uh Mitic and Jang in the rotation, so like that. If you, that got, if you go of... Michich and Jang,
5: Poku's just out of the picture. I so left they're they're number...
4: off before the like before the ankle injury news. For initial. sure, true. It
5: hurt my what, do you, what do you do with number ten overall pick, Caseon Wallace? Right. Aaron Wiggins played like seventy four games for this team last year and was good. It's a good problem to have. I don't know what the top ten look like on the the starting five. And then, like, if you forced me to pick, I would go Mitchich, J Will, Poku, Isaiah Joe, Kenrich Williams. Yes.
4: I don't. I think I don't think there's a combination of players you could spit out unless you were including like JRE in it. Like, oh, he's making the final roster, and he's gonna be in it. That I would be like, Jack no, it's
5: gonna be in there, Dadgummit. <laughs> yeah, we're about to
4: Victor Depot's returning from injury. He's early. Is this is related to the rotation? Is there like a chance that we see Lou Dort's role like diminish a little bit on this team based on how it's built and how I don't know what the kindest way to put it is, like how damaging he can be at times on the offensive end.
6: Yes. The answer is yes, it should. And yes, it will.
5: Okay. He, we, we did this activity on our podcast the other day. Lou Dort last season, uh, I'm pulling it up now, took 11.8 shots per game. That's down from 14 shots per game the previous year. He's got to be sub 10 this year. Just has to be. I try to remember you guys saying that. That is low. He's like the second percentile in finishing at the rim it's bad he shot like 40 percent at the rim or like it was high really 30s bad. it's 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 a it's a problem he's, he's got a great
6: um, shot quality and i think catch and shoot and rhythm will be key he's, mm-hmm. he's still very very much especially when he hits one he'll catch the ball eight feet outside the line take a dribble pull up It's like could live without that, you know. We're, we're not whenever you're cutting from twelve to ten shots. It's not like don't be aggressive or like if you have a lane, don't take it. It's just like cut the fat,
7: hone it in does. exactly. Definitely. And as Thunder fans watched FIBA, obviously as uh, as many fans did, and I think that role that Lou Dort played again. I don't have those stats pulled up in front of me, but the role that Lou played for that Canadian team, I, I think is is kind of the epitome of what we would like to see moving forwards with this Thunder team?
5: It, it's such a challenging question because the defensive impact is absolutely undeniable. He guarded Paulo Bancaro for this team last year. The dude's 6'3". I mean, there, there was that game against the Clippers late in the season where Kawhi couldn't even get a shot off at the buzzer because he got put in the torture chamber. Like it, I, think I, I think I remember
4: clipping that play because I was just watching it. I was like, this isn't fucking real. Like yeah, it, no it, it's, it's right insane.
5: Now. I mean, there's the super famous one of him uh, checking LeBron at the end of the game and doing like the crazy arms and forcing LeBron miss. Like the defensive impact cannot be understated, but how much is it taking away when you have him on the offensive end? And there has to be a balance that I don't think they will bench him and there was a game last year where he played off the bench, and it was a pretty fascinating game. But what happens if one of these other guys just ma- – what happens when Usman makes the leap,
4: Dan? That's the
7: name that – yep. Not win. A- a- That's right, Jacob. I
4: appreciate yeah. the phrasing there. And, and,
5: and you want to <laughs> slide everybody down and let Dub play the three instead of the four and put Usin at the four. What happens when um, our lord and savior, Alexei Pokashevsky, comes back from this ankle injury? <laughs> And we're ready for the thin towers in the starting lineup. You know, it, it, it Is Lou Dort the one that steps out then? So there, there will be a role change for Lou. I feel very confident in that.
4: I, someone in our Discord, I can't even remember, they were saying the Thunder should trade for player X and playing with Poku, Chet Holmgren, and call them the Holy Finity. <laughs> and I can't remember who the player was. I was wish I could do it. Justice.
7: I was going to say bull bowl bulls personally.
4: It might've mind. been bull Yeah.
5: the Holy That's a t-shirt waiting to happen. I'd get that tattoo uh, to my chest.
4: Uh, yeah. I mean, i yeah, I'd get that tattoo to my forehead. if they, like, <laughs> they just trade for Kevin Durant decides, to, like go back to his roots and play the whole affinity with that. So I did not say this. We're reaching the end of the podcast, which means we are we are already in the cookie cutter portion of the podcast, and we just went through one of them. Could I get one lineup beginning with Taylor from each of you? Some weirdo, conventional out there. Maybe they won't try it, but should line up. You would like to see. You might have oh, already spoiled yours, oh, Taylor. Oh, I
7: have it off the top of my head. I am ready, Dan. Uh, I'm going Shay, Josh Giddy, Usman Jang, Poku, Chet. We're calling it the long boy lineup.
4: I'm here for it. Nick, what do you have? I'm going to go.
6: Shea dub. Dort case and Wallace, Kenrich Williams. The defense really, you really lack size, but those dudes will absolutely get after it. Like Josh Giddey's your center at that point. Um, I love that. Never will happen to your, to your original point. Didn't have to be a real lineup, but that would be incredible.
5: Uh, oh, so, so we're not going realistic here. It doesn't I mean, have I, to be realistic. Okay, no. okay. The, th- the crazy my... thing was, they Don't like these could be realistic. They could, in theory. Lou Dort, got Jacob, Lou Dort, Kaysen Wallace, uh, two-way guy Keontae Johnson, um, Kenrich Williams, Chet Holmgren. The we're coming to beat the shit out of you lineup. I dig it. Yeah, there's like so many good combinations. I think I'd want to see the
4: Shea plus. They would call them. They're not the like Shea plus four bigs. Like let's get Poku, Jang, Kenrich Williams, who's played five, and Chet Holmgren, and we'll just throw them next to Shea. See what that looks like. That's by my standards. That's not really that weird. But that, um, that,
6: that could and probably will happen.
4: Good. So if you guys can alert me on Twitter when it's on the floor, if that's still <laughs> operational, I'd be. What's the, What's uh, the name
6: of the lineup again? Have you Have you coined it?
4: No, I don't have a name. I mean, Shea plus Biggs. Like, Shea I don't, like, plus four, Biggs. Let's call it the four-center lineup. They've all played center, right? Yeah, yeah no. I Shea like that. Centers. Yeah. I like that. Um, So, Jacob, is there any strengths or concerns about this team uh, related to this team that we haven't talked about that you think need to be discussed?
5: Not that I can think of. They have a very interesting, and I think they're the second youngest team in the league coming into this year right behind Detroit. Still, A a lot of people are ready for them to make the jump. They are still a bunch of babies who are in the infancy stage of this thing. It's another year of exploration. I think the only thing we we touched on a little bit didn't get super deep into, people don't know who he is. If you put him in a lineup, they would guess that he uh, is an accountant for the the business down the street. But Mark Dagnall has just been a freaking phenomenal hire. If you don't know the background, he didn't play college ball, um, ended up making his way to an assistant coach at the University of Florida. Thunder actually hired him away from Florida before they brought in Billy Donovan. Uh, Dagnall coached the G League team, got bumped up to uh, on the bench with the Thunder, and then whenever Dagnall, or sorry, whenever uh, Billy Donovan left and went to Chicago, they upgraded him again. So they've had their Sam Presti specifically has had his eyes on Mark Dagnall for God, the better part of a decade now. And just like they do with their players, they got their coach in the pipeline and they slowly took the training wheels off and built him up. And w- what he's able to to squeeze out of this team has just been phenomenal. I think they have an incredible staff. I think a lot of the the benefits of what we saw last year are due to his coaching style and what they do. Uh, I think he's the kind of the unsung part of this whole organization moving forward that maybe doesn't get the credit it deserves.
4: So let's go rapid fire on two fronts here. I'll, I'll circle to three of you. We'll start with Taylor. They're over under for this season. is said at 44 and a half,
7: are you taking the over or the under? I think that's a great, Line that's been set for the Thunder compared to past really years. is
4: good at this. There's only like one or two teams every year where it's like what the hell were they thinking?
6: Dan, I'm gonna help <laughs> you out because Taylor needs this. He said rapid fire. By the way, Taylor.
7: <laughs> well, if we dive into the past five years and take the acronym I'm just kidding. I, I'm I'm going over.
6: Uh, Nick, over or under. I'm going under. I've I've said from the start this is a 500 team.
5: Jacob, give me the over. Damn it.
4: I will not reveal mine until we actually do the over-under podcast, but I'm sure you three could probably collectively guess. <laughs> Jacob, how? which teams are you prepared to guarantee
5: are better than the Thunder next season in the West? In the West, Denver Nuggets. Uh, if we're assuming health is kind, the Phoenix Suns. There's a reason all the other ones, their over-unders are clumped within two games. 44 and a half
4: might be the most popular win total, by the way, this year. I feel like every single team I'd have to go back in the dock and look. I'd be like, 44 and a half, 44 and a half.
5: Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Those two are the ones that I would say for sure. I think all the rest of them are kind of fair game. That's not to say I think the Thunder are going to be third. That's like best, best, best case scenario. But if I have to just guarantee, those might be the only two I go with because... What happens with the Pelicans and Zion? Um, the Lakers are old. Um, San Antonio is going to sit Wemby late in the season, probably, because they're going to slow build this thing because they're San Antonio. Uh, Houston is Houston. Um, <laughs> Dallas has Kyrie, so he's probably going to be on Newsmax every other game and not actually playing <laughs> basketball. Um, so so we, I can only say two, I think. Uh Nick, how many teams would you
4: would you add any teams to that? I'll throw in Golden State. Um obviously
6: older and could be injured, but I think they've spread the amount of veterans they have that can really impact winning and have done this before. Like even if Steph gets hurt, you got Chris. If Chris gets hurt, still a good team. I
7: I've got Golden State. So I'm going to substitute that one. Um I don't quite trust Golden State right now. I'm going to go ahead and go with Sacramento. Ooh, ooh. I love the continuing that, yeah, the, how they looked last season.
4: They got, I'm so I'm actually with Jacob. I just have the two teams. That doesn't mean I think the Thunder are going to finish third. The West is just so all over the place. With Sacram- Sacramento is a good one though, because a lot of people look at their season and say they got really lucky with health. They didn't so much get lucky with health as the fact that Domas Sabonis is just, just like a it. fucking mutant and is gonna play with like shattered bones. Hey, that's Dom Thunder, Thunder Center. Yeah, Sabonis. yeah, Thank you
5: very much. <laughs> <laughs> Something uh, with good Zagas centers in the Oklahoma City Thunder. I don't I don't know.
4: So is there anything else we haven't talked about? I already asked this to Jacob really, but Nick or Taylor, is there anything else that I just haven't asked you guys that you think needs to be needs to be covered here?
6: I think as good as Chet Holmgren will be I don't think he fixes all of their problems in the front court immediately this is a team that is going from no real center like Poku is the size of a center he's not a center Jay Will is a super undersized center not a real center um, Chet is a real center but when he struggles the team will struggle and so I think that we should have very high expectations for Chet and think he's going to be awesome but the same problems we saw last year, you mentioned defensive rebounding, paint presence. When Chet's sitting, Chet's hurt, Chet's struggling, uh,
7: that's going to be tough for the Thunder. Still going to be an Achilles heel, I think. Um, obviously, we, we joke about me being the, uh, the sunshine pumper on the podcast, but I, I do think about, like, it, we, we've done a lot of that on this podcast here on Hardwick Knox, but what happens if the Thunder don't take a, a significant leap? And we're talking about can Shea and Giddy coexist again? That's one thing I'm thinking about. And the other is something we haven't talked a whole lot about. But look, there are a ton of assets. It doesn't have to be a win now, push the button, as Presti has said in the past, right? Um, it doesn't have to be a Giannis or a Dame Lillard type of trade. Buddy Hield, we, we just got the notification from Shams earlier today. Like, right, what if it's a player time. like that? <laughs> what if it's a player like that that the Thunder make a a minor trade for that improves this team? Right, something to keep in mind doesn't have to be a superstar. Swing for the fences. I hate it just that. Just feels
4: weird to trade for Buddy Heald when you have Isaiah Joe and Lindy Waters yeah. on a two way contract. It just seems why so weird. not all the
7: shooters around say. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: guys, this was great. Thank you so much for spending nearly ninety minutes with this episode, and of course, we did another hour on yours. Um, I would like you to all
7: to promote yourself individually. So, Taylor, where can they, where can our listeners find you? So I have a weird spelling, um, Taylor with an E. You can find me at Taylor underscore P 15. And obviously you can find me uh, on the uncontested on Sundays, Wednesdays. We're having a ton of fun with it. And I really appreciate you having us on Dan.
4: Nick,
6: how about yourself? Yeah. Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it at crane. C R A I N N B A. I'm with you. I'm not adopting the name X. Just like it's always Staples Center. I'm not calling it Crypto.com or whatever the hell they renamed it the to.
7: Crypt. So, something,
6: something do not change. Can
4: afford to call it Crypto.com anymore? Like, <laughs> I it's, don't know. It's on there.
5: <laughs> Jacob, can you let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Jacob Niffen, K-N-I-F-F-E-N. You can find the podcast anywhere you download your pods. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, uh, so if you're interested in some Thunder coverage and some Poku love, check us out. There you go. You sold us all. You, you sold me right there. The link to the podcast
4: will be in the YouTube and podcast description, as will their individual Twitter, not X, handles and links. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, and if you have not subscribed to The Uncontested, please do so already. They do. You guys do a great job over there. You are highly, highly entertaining. And I promise I'm not just blowing smoke because you agreed to, to come on this show. Um, And as you have, look, I'm going to spam your DMs again in the future. So thank you guys so much for, for coming on. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan.